0: Well, as Joe said, we're continuing in this series in the book of Acts, and as I read the passage this week that we're going to come to, I got to thinking about my grandmother. Uh, My grandmother was on my mom's side, lived in northeast South Dakota, in the middle of nowhere, on a farm. Uh, They raised cattle and hogs for decades on this farm, and when I was little, I loved going to my grandparents' house. I would go there, and I would ride the four-wheeler, and that was back in the day. No helmet, 60 miles an hour down gravel roads. I didn't think anything of it. Looking back, I'm like, Mom, Dad, like, really? Did you just let me do that? Like, no problem? I was like, 12, right? And I would go there, I would mow the grass, right, which sounds like a chore, but I got to ride this giant riding lawnmower and mow the grass. I would walk the farm with my grandpa and my grandma. I would play with their dog, Blue. But there was one thing that I loved about the farm that I, uh, my pa- grandparents lived at more than anything else, and it's that at the end of the kitchen counter in their house was this array of cookies and candies. There were all of these different kinds of jars, and within them were all of this different kind of candy and cookie. There were always homemade chocolate chip cookies. Sometimes there were popcorn balls. I don't know if you've ever had a popcorn ball homemade, right? There was always licorice, red and black, for those of you who don't know what things, good things taste like. Um, there were M&Ms, right? I didn't eat the black licorice, nasty, right? But there were M&Ms, there were hard candies, chocolate-covered raisins and nuts, just all these different jars filled with candies and cookies. And I love to go there because when I went there and I sat at the end of the counter and my parents were nowhere in sight, my grandma made it very clear, there are no limits to how much candy and cookies you can have while you sit at this kitchen counter. And I have these distinct memories of sitting at the counter, enjoying a chocolate chocolate chip cookie, a handful of MMs, and ms some licorice, as my grandma would talk with me about, you know, school and sports and friends and things happening in my life. And so after my grandma passed a few years back, my mom and dad helped clean out all of her remaining possessions from the apartment she had moved into later in life. And I told my mom, listen, if you can find one of those candy dishes, I want it. I want one of those candy dishes. And they were lucky to find one. And this uh, dish now sits on my kitchen counter, only it's filled with vegetables and not (laughs) candy, (laughs) which is probably better. But then also on Thanksgiving, uh, which is my favorite of all holidays. I make a big meal. I love it. On Thanksgiving, I make homemade cranberries, and I put them in the dish, and it sits center of our table, and it's just an homage to the life that my grandmother lived. And this candy dish, it, you know, which my grandma probably got at a garage sale or a hobby store, there's, there's nothing significant about it in and of itself, but it is so much more to me than just a dish. It's personal. I mean, if you just saw it sitting on my kitchen counter, you'd be like, oh, it's just a dish holding tomatoes, right? But for me, it's this priceless piece of glass. It represents so much more than what you see. It represents a relationship. It represents conversations had over cookies and candy. It represents a woman who endured a lot and gave so much for the sake of her kids and her grandkids. And I suppose you could go and you could find one that looks or you know close to or just like it, but it would definitely not be the same. Not to me. I mean, you can't buy what this dish means to me, and you can't buy what I received while this dish sat on my grandmother's counter. It's personal. It doesn't come with a price tag. It is attached to a person. And so as we come to our passage in the book of Acts today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see a similar truth about something that I think we all want, but can't be bought any more than my grandma's candy dish represents. So with that in mind, I have good news for you. YouVersion is back. Uh, you can go to YouVersion if you have the app on your phone. Go to more and events, and you'll be able to follow along with everything I'm going to be talking about. You can take notes in there. You can save it for later if you want to go back and reference it. Or if you are going analog today and you have your Bible with you, uh, you can go to Acts chapter 8. And so before we get to the passage, let me just, as I always do, just give a little brief recap as to where we've been, a little bit of context for what's happened up until this point, specifically what's happened in the last couple of weeks as we've looked at the books of Acts. Well, last week we talked about what happened immediately following Stephen's death as a martyr. Stephen was this man appointed into leadership in the church, and he is stoned for what he believes, for the faith that he has in Jesus and his unwillingness to stop talking about Jesus. And as soon as Stephen breathes his last breath, The religious leaders, the high council in Jerusalem, go after the rest of the church. They've had enough, that's it, we need to get rid of these so-called followers of Jesus. They're sick of being made out to be the bad guys and want this new movement of Jesus followers out of town. So, led by a guy named Saul, which is important to note, they start dragging Christians from their homes and imprisoning many of them. And as a result, because of the fear of what might happen to them, many of the first followers of Jesus scatter throughout the known area, namely the region of Judea, which is around Jerusalem and all the way into Samaria. And something, this is something that would happen that Jesus said would occur all the way back in Acts chapter one. He says, I'm going to want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth. Nobody knew it would happen through persecution, but this is what's going on. The, the, the words of Jesus are being fulfilled. And only there, the difference is that as they go back to Judea, many of them are going back to their hometowns or even into Samaria, they're going there very different people. They're going to these places carrying this good news about Jesus. And no amount of press, pressure or persecution will keep them from telling people about him. So one particular Christian Philip ends up in Samaria, which is a precarious place for him to be. We talked a little bit about this last week. The Samaritans and the Jews have a sordid past, right? They did not get along. Jews looked at Samaritans as half-breeds, people who had intermarried with other nations, and then because of that, they were considered to be unclean within the Jewish uh, religious rules and regulations, And so Jews and Samaritans had this ongoing back and forth problem with each other. It got so bad that Jews would avoid Samaria at all costs. If they were traveling north, they would often do an end around to go around Samaria, adding one to two days to their travels just so they wouldn't have to travel through the town. This is the the sort of context in which Philip is now entering the city of Samaria. But now, because of the good news of Jesus, that history has changed. The first followers are carrying the good news, and they know that this can only be good news if it's good news for everyone, including those who live in Samaria, which is where we pick pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Okay, stop there a sec, because the text seems to indicate that, and we'll call him Simon the Sorcerer, was seen as this Messiah type among the Samaritans. He had obvious powers, and people even referred to him as the Great One, the power of God. People were enamored by him, and clearly, Simon enjoyed their admiration. Verse 12, "...but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized." Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So as it is in many other places in the New Testament, the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, is changing the lives of so many who hear it. Numerous Samaritans, the text says, are placing their faith in Jesus and being baptized, including... Simon the sorcerer. But based on what Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, reports in verse 13, we have to wonder how genuine Simon's faith really is. But a new community is being formed in Samaria, so the church universally, especially in Jerusalem, they respond. They hear this news and they respond. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, first off, I just want to put out there that this very passage has been debated among Christians since it was written. Okay, this is the only instance... In the Bible where people who believed and were baptized had to wait to receive the Holy Spirit apart from Pentecost. It's the only place. In every other instance, when a person believes and they're baptized, they receive the Spirit. In addition, it required Peter and John, two Jewish leaders, to lay hands on the people to receive the Spirit. The only place that that happens as well. Now, I don't want us to get lost in all the details here because there's bigger things to talk about, I believe. But most scholars are convinced that this was a special instance of people receiving the Holy Spirit for the sake of unity in the church. Remember, the Samaritans and the Jews have a lot of bad blood between each other. And that hasn't changed overnight. There's still tension there. And up until this point the receiving of the Holy Spirit was purely a Jewish thing. The last thing God wants is for the gospel to become an us and them kind of thing, right? He wants unity among the church, no matter who may be invited in. So it's believed that the delay in the Samaritans receiving the Holy Spirit until Peter and John got there is to solidify the unity now that occurs between Jews and Jews and samaritans it points to the truth that there is one jesus and one church and they all belong to it now and as all of this is happening simon the sorcerer is observing and wants a piece of what he is seeing verse 18 when simon saw that the spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people he offered them money to buy this power Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we're starting to see where Simon the sorcerer's motives have been all along. Simon the sorcerer wants what the apostles have, and so he offers to pay for it. But the apostles, they see right through it. Verse 20, But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. All right, so Peter, we know from the Gospels, we know from the book of Acts, not short on words. You know, he's not, you know, not going to let this go by. He, he's always going to call a spade a spade. And for Simon... Peter notices your heart is in the wrong place with all of this. You're jealous and you want to just buy off whatever power we possess, but the power, it's not for sale. You you can't buy what we have. This is personal. This This is connected to somebody. You can't just buy it. It's why Peter says, You can have no part of this. For your heart, it's not right with God. In other words, Peter tells Simon, you've missed the point. The life-giving power of the Spirit is not something you can purchase because the Spirit's power is personal. It's connected to someone. It's not just this thing that you can pull off the shelf and utilize whenever you want. I mean, let's be honest what Simon wants. Simon wants the quick fix here. He wants that legacy of the Great One, the power of God, to continue with the kind of power the apostles now wield, something he's never seen or had before. And in the ancient world, you could often purchase a magician, a sorcerer's power, right? Magicians and sorcerers would sell their powers were a profit, pretty good deal if you think about it, right? You don't have to take inventory on that kind of thing. You just walk around and sell it. But of course, we all know it rarely ever worked, if ever worked, but it was believed that you could simply buy whatever power someone else had. If I liked what you had, well then I would just go up to you and I would offer you 20 bucks and Venmo it to you and then you'd give me your power, right? It was sort of this exchange for something, but but Peter is saying, that's not, how this, that's not how this works. The Spirit's power is way different. You can't buy this. You can't earn it. It's not something you can pick up at a flea market or a grocery store. It's personal. It's relational. It's connected to a person. The Spirit's power truly has the ability to change a person's Life. You know, when we sang that song earlier, m- may we be more aware of your presence. May your spirit come and be with us. We sing that because we know of the power it possesses. It frees people from sin and shame. It heals those who are sick and ailing. It's, it blesses those who need it. It gives to hope to those who are hopeless. But it's not separate from the person of Jesus Christ and the relationship he desires with us. Yeah, I'm afraid, and I am guilty of this, that we are more like Simon than we like to admit sometimes. You know, we, we treat the spirit and its power like this divine vending machine, don't we? We want the healing, and we want the hope, and we want the blessing, Without very, with very little consideration of the relationship that it's actually connected to. Listen, the good news of Jesus is not that all of a sudden we can drop a coin in the slot and get what we want. The good news of Jesus is that we are no longer under the weight of sin and shame, and now because of that relationship, that personal relationship, we have access to the Spirit's power through Him. And so I want to pose a question for you this morning that that I hope you can answer honestly as you consider how the Spirit's power might or might not be working in your life. The question is this. Are you after the power or are you after the person? How we answer that question, I think, is how this text is going to speak to us. If all we're doing is trying to get... To somehow get God to do our bidding and convince the Spirit to exercise power whenever we need it, then, then I don't think we know God at all. Like Peter said to Simon, our, our hearts, they're not right with God. It is only through a relentless pursuit of Jesus that the power of the Spirit becomes alive in us, because the Spirit's power is personal. It's connected to somebody. It's relational. It's not just a dish you can buy at the store. It's not just something I can earn by holding up all of these rules and regulations. It's personal, and it's connected to the person of Jesus. Now, fortunately for Simon, and I hope for many of us, if we catch ourselves going, man, I'm after the power, but not so much the person. For Simon, his heart's change. His heart changes in this moment. And in verse 24, we hear him repent. He says, pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. And it goes on in verse 25 to say, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. A new community is formed. And Simon the sorcerer, we can sort of guess walks away a changed person. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus promised the Spirit of God when he resurrected from the dead and ascended into heaven. He said, listen, I'm leaving you right now, but I am sending the Holy Spirit to live in you, anyone who believes in me, anyone who is baptized in my name is filled with the Holy Spirit, and when it remains connected to me, there is power in the Spirit of God. power to change a life, power to overcome whatever obstacle may come your way. It is available to anyone and everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You can't buy this. You can't earn this. But all you have to do is receive Jesus as your leader and forgiver of your life. Connect your life with his. And he says, you will receive my spirit, which is filled with the same power that raised me from the dead. And it's most powerful when it remains, when you remain connected to me. Because it's personal. It's not just this thing you can purchase or this thing you can just grab for every once in a while when things don't go your way. It's personal. And so are you after the power or are you after the person? That's the question, I think, that arises from this text. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. When you believe that Jesus lived the life you could never live, right? We, we all know that. We've, we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. That's our story, And when we believe, look, there's only one person who's lived the perfect life, and that's Jesus, and then he went about dying the death that we deserve for our sins and rose again three days later. It's only in believing in that that we are given hope in this life and a life beyond this one. Only then, too, will we receive the spirit that gives us the power to become what we say is a changed life, changing lives. It has to remain connected to The person. Uh, look, I know some of you are desperate for change in your life. I know that feeling. I've been there. There, there are things in my life, man, I know God's got to do work on. And you need change in ways only the power of God can, can change. And so I would say this to you instead of chasing after the power, chase after the person. Pursue Jesus, and I promise you, that power of the Spirit will follow. Fall in love with the person of Jesus. Get to know him, understand him in his ways. Read his word. Gather with his people. Get in a group. Be together. You know, like my grandma's candy dish, you, you can't buy what the Spirit has to offer. It's not for sale. And you know, that dish that sits on my kitchen counter, it's never been special because of what it brings or what it holds. It's special because of the connection it has to the person it once belonged to. And it's the same with the Spirit's power. If we want the Spirit's power in our life, let's stop chasing the power and start chasing the person that it resides in to begin with. It's only special and powerful because it's connected personally to the person of Jesus. You cannot buy it. It's not for sale. You can't earn it. It's a free gift, and it's connected to the one who came for you. And it's absolutely free. That's the weird thing about this whole thing. Is Simon is saying, look, I'll buy it from you. And Peter's like, buy it? It's not for. It's free. Like it's free. It's just, it's connected to a person. You don't want to buy the power. You want to buy, or excuse me, you don't want to receive the power. You want to receive the person first. It's in him that all of this power resides. It's absolutely free. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians 3.2, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? In other words, did you receive the Holy Spirit by doing all the right things, by paying whatever it was that you felt like was a charge for it? Of course not, he says. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. The power of that Holy Spirit is in the person of Jesus. It is connected. It is personal. It can't be bought. It can't be earned. It can't be, you know, sort of vended out of a machine. It is only available to us when we place our faith, our whole faith, in the good news of Jesus. So my challenge to you this week is this. All of us in this room need the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us, change us, to give us hope. But I don't want you to focus on that this week. Instead, I just want you to singularly focus on your relationship with Jesus first. Stop focusing on everything that needs his power to intervene. Just focus on Jesus, who he is, what he's done how he interacts with your life. Spend time with him each morning. Read the book of John or Mark if you need somewhere to start. Take a break midday to go for a walk or sit in a quiet room. Just get to know him. Pursue the person and the power will follow. Pursue the person and the power will follow. Let's pray. God, I I confess that so often I am chasing after the power of the Holy Spirit above and beyond that relationship with you. And it's out of order. It's just not how you set it up. The Spirit's power is it's not something we just take off the shelf. It is wrapped up and enveloped into a relationship with you through Jesus. And so I'm grateful for the story of Simon, who it took him a minute, but he figured that out. I'm grateful for the words of Peter to recognize, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't how this works. The Spirit's power; it's personal. It's connected to somebody that when we pursue the person of Jesus, the Spirit will follow. And so this week, I pray that there would be a laser-like focus on you in our lives. And that through that, through that relationship, God, that you would begin to change and transform us, change and transform the world around us through the Spirit's power, that we would recognize where it is that we would be grateful for its presence in our lives. And God, that you would reveal to us just how special this relationship we have with you is. So God, I pray in the coming days and weeks that your spirit would fall upon this place. God, that the power of your spirit would be evident in the lives of every person in this room. But that daily you will remind us that it is available only in and through the person of Jesus. And so may our eyes be set on him. May we experience the power of your spirit in our lives through that relationship. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for how you love us. You don't leave us the same, how you challenge us. I pray, God, that you would do a good work in all of us today, tomorrow, and for the rest of the days ahead. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, before we sing a, a one final song, which I think is appropriate for us this morning, I just want to uh, ask you, if you would, to consider uh, giving here at Genesis. If you're new with us, please don't feel obligated to give We're just glad you're here. But if you call Genesis home, uh, one of the ways that we can express uh, our gratefulness and thankfulness to what God is doing in our life is through giving to the local church. Every dollar goes back to helping, you know, bring the Spirit of God into the world through the relationship we have with God through Jesus. And so you can do that a few ways. You can text the word give to the number on the screen. You can give in person. There are boxes in the back. Uh, near the exits of the auditorium, and you can go online, and you can give that way as well. Just encourage you to consider that as you consider Genesis uh, as a place to call home. Well, with that said, uh, Jack and the band are going to lead us in one final song. So if you would stand with us, and let's just thank God for how much he loves us this morning.